Good morning, Calvary. How are y'all doing? Good to hear some good, uh, good feedback. Praise God. Why don't we stand up? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will always say that. And we choose to be glad in him. Regardless of the situations and circumstances that each and every one might be facing, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I am so thankful with the Father that he woke us up this morning. I heard it the other day with someone else, and I said, hey, they took my saying. But they were saying, you know, thank you, Lord, that you woke us up this morning. And this morning I was sharing with the team, yes, thank you, Lord, that you woke us up this morning. That means we still have purpose. And I rejoice in that purpose of our Lord Jesus. So this morning, let's give it all to our God. He woke us up. He gave it all. He gave his son Jesus for us. And that is the reason why we are here this morning. And it's to lift his name high. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Let's do this. Oh, we rejoice in you, Lord, for that glorious day, Father, that you gave us you when your salvation came to our lives. And that is why we sing this morning. Hallelujah. I was buried beneath my shame.
intercede and rescue from our Lord Jesus. And he came to us. That is why we're going to do this part here all together. Can you do it with me? I need a rescue. I need a rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I need a shelter. I was an orphan. But you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing. Now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future. My eyes are open. Because when you call my name, I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness into your glorious So glad to see you all this morning. It's always a joy of the heart and in God's wiring of our hearts, our souls, to experience delight when we gather together as the brethren. And so I'm so delighted to see you all this morning. And uh, great news, the projector is now working. Big, humongous thanks to uh, Mr. John, wherever you are. You are in this room somewhere. I think, maybe he's out in the lobby doing security. Oh, there he is. There he is. I see him. Uh, so Mr. John got on our A-frame wooden ladder. You know, it goes like this. It's really, really tall, the A-frame. But then the middle goes straight up. And he had to get all the way up to the top there. And, uh, and that thing, it's wood. So it sways back and forth. And so he's working. I mean, trying to get this thing together. It's so very, very grateful. I'm exaggerating. He was all right. Uh, but braver man than me, I'll tell you that. Uh, so thank you so much, John, for getting that together. You know, I really, really appreciate you, brother. You know, it just brings balance to this room. You know, it just satisfies the soul to have, you know, it's a little thing. Um, there, there will not be, this is a special announcement that Pastor Mark will also give uh, later on, just to make sure everybody's here to hear this. Uh, we, we are not going to have connect groups today. Uh, we're going to do a special meeting with our leaders. If you are a leader in any uh, fashion, God has called you in uh, leadership here at Calvary. Uh, we just want to share a couple of things with you. Would you please meet with us behind you to your left in the youth room? And we're going to be gathering there right after service is over today. So there will be no connect groups 
this afternoon, uh, this, uh, later on this morning. And I um, want to welcome all the visitors. If you are a visitor, I want you to know that we are a praying church. We love to pray for one another. God has called us to pray for one another. It is interesting that the will of God is activated through our obedience and prayer. It's interesting that he does not need us for his will to be fulfilled, but he desires to use you to be a part of the, uh, the fulfillment of his will. We get to partner with him in obedience through prayer. And so we would love to pray for you. In front of you, uh, in some of these chairs, there are a few slots for these uh, little prayer cards. We would love to pray for you. There's also a visitor card there, too. We'd like to know that you were here. We'd love to say, know your name and shake your hand and say hello. So please find those, fill them out, and we would love to come alongside of you. A uh, very special thing that is happening here at Calvary on September 13th. We are relaunching, or it's going to be a fall launch, of two very special ministries for the little ones, for those who are 12th grade and under. Those, of course, some of those 12th graders are not so little. I talked to a, a guy named Sean a couple of uh, weeks ago, and he's, he's li- I literally look up to him. And I'm a tall person, and he's a lot taller than I am, and I was just very grateful for him. He is going to be part of our new worship team that the youth is going to have here at Calvary. Um, praise the Lord for, for that. He's a gentleman that has grown up in the leadership core uh, at, a, at a sister church that we have nearby here, a, uh, a fellow, um, uh, it's the, the big church, Second, <laughs> Second Baptist Church. Uh, they uh, love the Lord there, and he's part of the, of the leadership team there. But he's also a student I got to meet through Crew, and that's Campus Crusades for Christ at Cape Park. A really awesome, awesome young man. And he just graduated last year, but he's going to be helping us with uh, worship. Uh, for the first time in five years, we're going to have uh, worship in our youth ministry. Very, very excited about that. Amen. Lastly, for Wednesday, uh, Awana is also starting. If you're not familiar with Awana, this is a perfect time to get familiar. Awana is a ministry that is the sole focus is to write the Word of God on the hearts of young children. It's to get them to not only memorize God's Word in a very fun and practical way, but also explain what they're memorizing, explain the meaning behind these passages that they're putting to their heart. And so I would encourage you to do a couple of things. If you have, you know anybody with children, fifth grade and under, get, get them here on Wednesday the 13th as we have a, a special um, uh, planning meeting, or uh, not planning meeting, but an information meeting for the parents. And then at the end, all the kids are going to play against their parents in a game of laser tag. We are going to turn this whole children's room into a laser tag arena. Battlefield Houston is coming here to Calvary with inflatables and all kinds of obstacles and forts. And they're going to set all that up in the children's room. The youth are going to use it first. After we're done with it, uh, we're, the kids are going to go in there. So all teenagers, 6th grade through 12th grade, we're going to have a blast in there, literally a blast in there. And then uh, we're going to go into the youth room and finish our service there. It's going to be a really great time. I would encourage you to come see what God is doing here on Wednesday nights on uh, September 13th. Uh, We have a special blood drive. Thank you so much for those of you who have been very faithful to this. On October 1st, we're having another one. I encourage you to sign up for that. In your bulletins, you're going to see a little uh, insert like this called a walk walk for a cause. I'd encourage you to take a look at that and see what this this is about. Uh, If you have any interest, I would uh, encourage you to uh, speak with Ms. Uche. Uh, also, there is a location here. The venue it has, it has the address for the venue here, but you don't have to necessarily go here to participate. Just scan this QR code and it'll give you a little bit more information about that. So thank you, Ms. Uchia, for being willing to be a part of that. 
Uh, the women's ministry, there's two, a couple things I want to share with you, what's going on with them. God is moving in the lives of our ladies here at Calvary. I would encourage you to be a part of that movement. Uh, if you have not joined them in doing anything, let this be one of the first things that you do. September 23rd, see Miss Melanie and just get to know who the ladies are. Come, uh, come, come have a, a tea with the ladies. Well, I don't like tea. It's okay. Just come over here and see. You. You're going to like the ladies, I promise. They're, they're very, very, very nice. I think you're really... God has wired our hearts to desire to be in the company of our brothers and sisters. And so satisfy that part of your soul and, be, and take advantage of opportunities like this to gather outside this room. And uh, they also are going to be get, going in deep into the Bible, uh, into the study of Isaiah through a Bible study um, on, uh, on the 7th of September. So for more information on that, please uh, contact Ms. Marsha. Um, that is the last thing we want to share with you, that there is uh, several different ways for you guys to give to the Lord. Uh, one of the awesome things we get to do as an act of worship is give to our Lord. He's been so faithful in his provision to us, and we give back to him to, to declare that we not only trust him, but that we desire to be obedient to him in all things, and we praise him for that. And so as an act of worship, we have three different ways for you guys to give. Uh, the traditional way of put it, filling out a, an envelope, putting your offering in there, we can put it up in the offering baskets um, in the back or in the front or in the offering box that's in the lobby. Uh, you can also give online. Uh, a, a really convenient way is to uh, text 84321, uh, a dollar amount, and it'll send you a link. You hit that link. This is all done one time. You hit that link one time, it'll give you a few, it'll, send you, it'll get you a, to a secure, our secure website, and it'll, um, you have some, a few prompts to fill in, and after that, from then on out, I mean, I could, uh, all you do is pull out your phone and you type in, you know, one million dollars into this text message, and it'll do everything else for you. You don't have to do anything else. Once that setup is done, you'll, you'll, uh, it's very, very convenient way uh, to do that. You can also go to uh, online to our website at uh, ccf.community forward slash give, or just click, click the, the give tab up at the top, and we can do that for you as well. Uh, Thank you guys so much for your faithfulness. Uh, it's been awesome to watch God uh, take what we have and to expand it to, to further his kingdom here at Calvary, uh, here uh, in, in the community Cal that Calvary's placed in. Uh, so do me a favor. Do each other a favor. Look around. Take a look at somebody you haven't seen before and say, hello. God bless you in the name of Jesus. So glad that you're here.
lift our hands to you, Lord. We lift our hands to you. And we exalt your name, Lord. Father, we declare, Father, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. We exalt your name, Lord. We want to say that we love you, Lord. You have been good, 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 good to us. And this is our way of expressing our gratitude, Lord. Just singing out to you. Our Father in heaven.
that time of our service where we give praise to our sovereign God. We seek forgiveness of our, from our forgiving, gracious God. Just a time where we can just crawl up in his lap and let him love on us. Gives us an opportunity to deepen our faith, too, as we deepen our relationship with him. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus is very clear. If your faith is the size of a mustard seed, you can move that mountain. Know that as God joins us this morning, he loves each and every one of you. Jesus loves you. It's just not a kid's song. It's a reality. So we ask that you just prepare your hearts to go to the throne of grace, to repent of any burden or tribulation or sin that you are carrying, to praise his name for anything he's blessed you with. Give thanks that he is a sovereign God, and that he is in control of all things, and that it's his will that we pray for, not our will. So bow your heads, prepare your hearts to go before our King. Heavenly Father, we come praising your name and giving thanks for who you are and who we belong to, Father. So I ask that you hear the cry of your people as they open their hearts, their minds, their very being. To your will to hear what you would say to them this morning to be obedient to whatever change that you desire in their lives Father we give thanks for those that whom you have healed Make their testimony be about you. We pray for those victims in Maui, Father. For those that have lost loved ones, for those that have lost everything. We pray for those that are there to help rebuild, to encourage, to be your hands and feet. Father, we stand in the gap against those who would try to take advantage of those that are suffering there, Father. We pray for those families that have lost loved ones. That you would bring them peace and understanding, Father. Let them know they are not alone. They are not forgotten. We pray for continued healing of those that are are ill, Father. We especially hold up Layla as the doctors try to discern where her pain is coming from. Watch over Olga as she continues to go through therapy. Father, we hold up Vera's brother and John's brother-in-law, Father, as he goes through the heart issues now that he is in the doctor's hands, but they are in your hands. 
pray that for those that are going through cancer treatments, Father. An opportunity for you to work a miracle in somebody's life. We pray for those that are still suffering in Ukraine. We pray for those that are being persecuted everywhere, Father. Because they pronounce the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for special protection, Father. We always pray for protection of Israel and protection of Jerusalem. But as they go through these holy times, Father, we ask for special protection upon them. We pray for those that are away from us. We pray for travel mercies to bring them back safely. We pray for those that protect us here and abroad, for those families of military men and women. Pray for those families of firefighters and law enforcement officers everywhere. As you protect each and every one of them. We pray for those students in schools. Father, those areas where people go out to have a good time and there is evil in that building. And there is death in that building, Father. Take us out of this chaos. Move us back to you. Let us boldly speak the truth. We pray for our nation's leaders, our local leaders, our state leaders, Father, that they would hear that small, still voice as you speak to them, draw them near, draw this nation back to where you had it long ago, Father, that we are one nation under your name. Give us the opportunities to do your will, Father. May we see them very openly, very clearly, and may we be obedient very quickly to your will. We pray for your message today. May you use Pastor Mark to speak to each and every one of us. We pray for your church here. We pray for your church universal. Father, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us when we don't realize that we have sinned, especially against one another. Draw us closer to you. And more than anything, Father, we pray that thy will be done in our lives and in the lives of this church. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Can we give the uh, worship team a round of applause? Great job that they're doing. We're also, I believe, we're dismissing the kiddos for uh, Children's Church at this time. And so help me welcome uh, to the uh, podium Pastor Mark. How about that? Now I'm doing good. Can you hear me now? <laughs> the front row thought I was just talking to them. <laughs> Apparently I was. 
There we go. Good to see everybody this morning. So, thank you. Far better to see you. Truly, I see me all the time, so. We are going through a series right now on the Ten Commandments. And uh, this morning I'm calling uh, this message the image and the name. The image and the name. Um, there are uh, some, some um, quotes I shared uh, once before. I love them. They, they just really kind of encompass the Ten Commandments. Man is an able creature, one author said, but he has made about 32,600,000 laws and hasn't yet improved upon the Ten Commandments. Somebody say amen to that? We've staked the whole of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government. And, the, and upon the capacity for each and all of us to govern ourselves and to control ourselves and to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. How many know that that was the person who said that was the father of our Constitution? Huh. James Madison said that. Somebody didn't tell him about the separation of church and state. Yeah. Um, Ten Commandments are not multiple choice. <laughs> they may be multiple guests, but they're not multiple choice. Uh, no man, I like G.K. Chesterton, always know how to spin a word. He says, no man can break any of the Ten Commandments. He can only break himself against them. And this kind of insight is that these aren't about rules for us to break or not break. They're about how we can live the fullness of what God has for us. And that takes us to the, the, this next quote. This is the way we're to think about the Ten Commandments. Not as cramping restrictions on a fullness of life that we might otherwise uh, have enjoyed, but as the very gateway to the fullness we seek. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 119. It's the most amazing psalm that talks about the word of God, the law of God, over and over, reflections on it. And it says this, and it's counterintuitive. Listen to these words. It says, I realize that everything has its limits, but your commands are beyond full comprehension. Do you get what he's saying? It's just the opposite of what we think. We think, well, the laws and the rules of God, they're the limiting thing. They bound us in. That's not what he's saying. He said, listen, everything on this world has a point in which it stops, it ends, it's complete, and it's over. It's the word of God that keeps going on. The commands of God that carry us to eternity. A very different way about thinking about God's commands. That's in the Psalms. So, the Ten Commandments, as a whole, as we consider them, as we think about them, as we get into them, what are they? They reveal the character and nature of God. They're not above Him. They're not below Him. They are the extension of who He is. They're given directly by God. Listen, God spoke these. This wasn't, a, this wasn't face-to-face to Moses. This wasn't a vision to a prophet. This wasn't inspiration in the writings. It was God Himself speaking, and when He did it, His voice was so terrifying that people said, okay, no more. It was literally the beginning and the foundation of all of the scriptures. Everything written in the scriptures after that was after the moment God spoke. This is the beginning point. They, they, uh, until, until Jesus came in the flesh, they are literally the greatest expression of God's self-revelation. They reveal God's character and nature. They're given directly by God. They're based on creation. And we're going to spend some time unpacking that this morning. It is so important to understanding them. They, um, 
They reveal, they create a covenant constitution for Israel. When Israel was a creation event coming out of Exodus, God created a nation and he presents to them a covenant relationship by which they can establish themselves as a nation on earth, as his nation on earth. And finally, they mediate a personal relationship with God and provide universal moral ideals for social well-being. That's absolutely fascinating. I know it's a lot of big words, but think about it for a minute. On the one side, they're a constitution for an entire nation. On the other side, they mediate a personal relationship between you and God personally. All of the yous in the Ten Commandments are you singular. You singular. It's the way, the way that a nation as a whole reflects God is when all the people reflect God. Well, that should tell us about the kingdom of God, period. And they provide a universal moral ideals for social well-being. Do you want to know how to bring social well-being? Bring the kingdom of God. When you bring the kingdom of God, you bring his nature. When you bring his nature, you bring those things that extend for his nature, the Ten Commandments. So, we look at the Ten Commandments. There's a chart of them here. Um, so, uh, there, there's a couple of different traditions about how, uh, how they're numbered because they don't actually say this is number one, this is number two. So different, different, uh, different traditions will group them differently. But um, what, we've been, what we've considered so far is uh, I am Yahweh your God. It's a statement of faith by which we embrace our Lord. We're made righteous before him. What did he do? He brought us out of slavery. He brought Israel out of Egypt. He brought us out of sin and death. It's literally a creation event. I am Yahweh your God. What else have we considered? You shall have no other gods before me. It is a marriage covenant language. We are what? To forsake all others. Anybody heard those language before? To have no other gods is to forsake all others. Before me literally means in his presence. There is not a place we can go. The psalmist says, should I go to the heavens? Should I go to the pit of death? I can't escape your presence. We shall, have, we shall forsake all others. And so this morning, we're going to consider, you shall not make an image, and you shall not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. They go together. You shall not make an image, and you shall not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. So the, the, the Ten Commandments, if you go to the next uh, chart, um, are actually have three sections to them. So if you look at the first section, um, it, it's about your relationship with God. I am Yahweh your God, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make an image, you shall not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. Then there is the fourth, the, the, well, depending on how you number them, the fourth commandment, that's a transition commandment, uh, remember the Sabbath, and then you have the, the last set that's about a relationship with other, others. Now, I want you to notice something here. This is not an accidental way this is put together, and it's going to play right into where we're going this morning. Take a look at something. This uh, relationship we have with other is in descending offense to us being in the image and bearing the name of God. Think about it. Honor your father and mother is number one. Why? Because that's where you get the understanding to be the image of God and to bear his name. Uh, you shall not murder. Why? Because you are killing the image of God when you do. You shall not commit adultery. Why? Because you are breaking through the very covenant relationship that establishes the image of God on this earth. You shall not steal. Why? Because you are taking from the image of God in someone else. You shall not bear false witness. Why? Because you are 
you are tearing down the image of God by lying about it about someone else. You shall not covet. In other words, it even goes to the point of your motives and how you deal with the image of God in the world. Is that not amazing? It's not accidental. So these commandments, these two that we're looking at this morning, uh, um, that we're taking together, you shall not make an image and you shall not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. These, these are connected together. Image, the images reflect creation. Bearing, uh, to be his imager reflects creation. Bearing his name reflects being a new creation. Not making an image of what? Of creation. Why? Because you're to bear his name and be a new creation. That's where we're going to go with this. So in order to do this, we need to go ahead and take a look at creation. We're going to go back to creation. Um. If you want to understand the Ten Commandments, you have to put them in the context of creation. Moses actually wrote the creation narrative for us after God gave the Ten Commandments. Now, in the ancient world, there were a lot of different myths that attempted to explain creation. And in most of those myths, you had a battle of the gods. You had this great abyss, this sea abyss, and these gods would battle it out. And the good gods would beat the bad gods, and that's how we got order out of chaos. And, um, and so all of these, it's interesting, when you go back to these stories and you look at the story, you look at the creation story that Moses wrote, he point for point, polemically, addresses all of these stories. Except, except instead of it being these fantastical stories, it is a straightforward theology. It wasn't your gods, it was Yahweh. It wasn't a great battle, it was his word. And ultimately, what all of creation was created to glorify him, and we were created to be imagers in it. And he is literally responding to all the stories in the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, all of the stories start out with this, this preconditional understanding of the universe. The earth, earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What, what the understood, the picture in your mind was to have this picture of what's called third evil. What is third evil? Think tornadoes, hurricanes, storms, place that life can't exist. It's dangerous to life. And there is this pre-mortal condition in which there's darkness, there's light. You have uh, without, when he says without form, it means utter chaos, no shape. When it says void, it means empty of all life. When it says darkness, I mean picture we we went to a cavern one time anybody ever been to a cavern you get down in a cave you get down in these caves and they saw everybody freeze okay and then hold on to something or whatever and they turn the lights out and you can't see your hand right here that kind of darkness no light whatsoever there is uh and and that word deep and waters literally refer to the understood and a bottomless abyss this is where we get the word abyss from this deep sea and so it's into this picture, this third evil that God speaks. It's the word of God that creates life. It's the word of God that bounds third evil. No, it's, it's the word of God that's eternal, that overcomes. So what, he, what does he do with light? I mean, with darkness, he speaks light. And he says, darkness, you can go this far and no more. You can only be here at night. Now we have light. He speaks to the chaotic abyss. And what does he say? He speaks to that abyss and he splits it in two. And land comes up. He puts the firmament over. And then he takes this abyss that is third evil and he says, guess what? Water from that abyss is going to fall and create life on the earth. 
He speaks to the empty void. And what happens? God, life begins to fill the earth. Plants come up. Fruit trees come up. Sun, the moon, and the stars give us seasons for life. Living creatures, great and small, are in the waters. Winged birds are in the heavens. Livestock, beasts on the earth. These are all life forces of creation. Pay attention to that. It's going to make it be important as we get into this. All God creates, all of these life forces of creation, and finally God creates mankind. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So mankind was meant to image God, to be his God's images, to be God's images. What does that mean? To be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That empty void, we're to fill it. We're to bring his light. We're to bring his love. We're to bring his life. To subdue and dominion. We're to confront the chaos just like God did. We're to bring godly order. We're to destroy the works of the devil as Christ did. We're to be, carry on the work he begun, not by ourselves, but in conjunction with him. All right. So we've looked at creation a bit. Now we're going to look at these commandments. You shall not make an image and you shall not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. How does this creation fit in here? So. Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in earth beneath. So don't make a carved image of anything that looks like something in heaven above or earth beneath that's or that's under the water. What do we just hear in creation? Heaven above, earth on top, under the water. Notice how it's tying to creation. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, Pastor Herson went over that second part, but the images is what we're going to focus on. Why no image? Well, first of all, let me say this. It's not talking about artwork. I've heard people say, well, that means we can't have artwork. You know, the, the Bible is literally filled with artwork. You have cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant, on the curtains, in the Holy of Holies. You got almond flower cups on the lampstands. You got buds. You got blossoms. You got pomegranates. You got bulls. You got lions. You got palm trees. I mean, there's all kinds of artwork in throughout the temple and all, all places in the scripture. And you never see a prophet anywhere come down on Israel because they had artwork. That's not the point. It's not about artwork. I know there's some artists in here going, Yes! Right, Drea? Anyway. Why did the ancient world make images into gods? That's what we have to ask. Why did they do it? Well, the ancient world, what they wanted to do is they literally wanted to reproduce the living forces of nature, the birds, the animals, the storms, the sun, all these things, into physical representations. Why? They would call it a god so that they could control the forces of nature. You see, if that's all out there, I'm going to create this image here, this idol, and I'm going to, uh, uh, my, my goal is that, the, that, that my God will embody that, and now that it's embodied, I can control it. But do you see what's wrong with that logic? The moment you've done that, you've literally subverted the order of creation. You just turned it on its head. 
what, how do we do that? What did creation actually teach us? It says, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. Let them, man, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of heaven, etc. Right? We just read that. So our dominion over the created order doesn't come by making, by making an image and bowing down to it. You don't get dominion when you make an image and you bow down to it. What happens? You just gave dominion of the image over you. And the very thing you were trying to do to control what's around you, you actually give up the very thing you had to bring dominion to it. Do you see what making the image does? You are subverting the created order itself. By making an image of a living force in order to control it, we, give up, we, giving, we end up giving control over us. Instead of having dominion, we're giving dominion. That's what sin does. Remember the Lord talking to Cain? If you do well, you are, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting there. But you must rule over it. Its desire is for you. But here's the thing. Because we can look back and go, well, we, you know, we don't make images of animals. We're not bowing down to animals and all these other things. Today. Well, in fact, there are those who do. That is still very much active in many places in the world. But we actually do the same thing in, in another way. We make images all the time. And I, I would guarantee you, you couldn't go a day without them. They're on our phones. They're on our billboards. They're on our computers. They're on our TVs. They're on our tablets. And we think we're controlling them. But guess what? Try to go without them. What do they do? They tell us what our hopes should be, what our desires should be, what our dreams should be, what success looks like, what will make us happy. They redefine evil. They create non-existent fantasy worlds, and they throw off the, boundary, the bounds of the reality of God's word. Okay, let me give you a, a, one that hit me the other day. Anybody, like, have, like, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can if you want. Anybody, like, have a favorite TV show? Thank you. A few honest people here. And I like, like the crime shows. Some people really like the crime shows or some people, you know, favorite story shows you like. Okay. Let me ask you a question. How many of those shows that you watch is God a character in those shows? So what they've done is they've literally created a non-existent fantasy world that doesn't exist. I'm telling you, that's not by accident. It is not by accident. The authors of those are purposely creating a worldview that subverts God. It's, it's, this is not a conspiracy or something like that at all. There's plenty, plenty who are involved in it who will tell you. Plenty. And we watch it and go along with it and, and allow all of that to come into our minds, these images playing over and over. Look, I'm not saying it's wrong to watch one of those. What I'm saying is, what are we bowing down to? What do we pattern our lives over? What do we let influence us? Do we let what is created influence us? Or do we turn to the creator? What image is our God? Because we are inundated with those images nonstop. Nonstop. We think we're controlling them, they're controlling us. I'll prove it to you. This is actual statistical. How many know that 69% of Americans self-identify as Christians? Anybody heard that before? 69% of Americans self-identify as Christians. Only 6% of Americans actually have a biblical worldview. 
Yeah, only 6%. 88% of Americans, right now, 88% of Americans have no problem believing contradictory, self-refuting, competing opinions about the world around them being correct and true. This is, I'm, this is, this has actually been statistically studied and, and proven. We have, this is a quote from George Barna. We have largely abandoned logic and analytical thinking in favor of emotional satisfaction. Most people are more interested in a life of comfort and convenience than one of wisdom and righteousness. People are willing to fight. Uh, I'll, I'll just stop right there. That's where we've come to. And I'm, 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 I'm here to say if 69% of the people self-identify as Christians, only 6% of the, have that worldview, that means that's the church. It's as much in the church as it is in the world. It's real easy for us to say, oh, you know, them over there and their animus thing, I would never bow down to a cow. Or I would never worship an owl. I would never lie down to that animal. And yet we're worshiping images all the time. How do we know? Because we take the images around us and exalt them over the word of God. We're bowing down to the image of this world. How do we know? Because we've literally lost the ability to think as a nation. George Barnes said this, and this is, this is him just looking at the stats, just looking at it. He's, this is not meant to be judgmental in any way. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not meant to be indictment. It's just like, here's, here's the facts. Simply and objectively, Christianity in America is rotting from the inside out. The fact is, God has already created his own image. God created man in his own image. We are the images of God. But we've rejected the image. You see, what we see in America actually just proves the scriptures. It just proves what the scriptures actually say. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why? For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that are made. So they're without excuse. He's saying this, and this is how Paul, every time he went among the Gentiles and preached the gospel, he said, look, this is the God who created everything. He's evident from the beginning. He is evident there is no one lives without excuse of knowing this and see this. He says, the reason why we don't know it and see it is we don't want to. We suppress it. We're just not interested. Well, what's the difference between that? Let me, let me keep reading what he says as a result. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. But they became futile in their thinking, foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling what? Mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, when most of us read this, what we read is birds and animals and creeping things. We don't read mortal man. Because to exalt ourselves and to exalt all the images we see is the same thing as exalting an animal, a bird, or something else. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Tell me that's not what's happening in our culture. The evidence is right in front of us. And what difference are we as the church making in that? Or are we becoming like that? I'm asking this globally as we have been called as believers to what? To not bow down to false images. 
And what did God do about it? God sent his son in the image of man in order to restore to man the image of God. Did you catch that? God sent his son in the... God created us to be his imagers. When we rebelled against it, God sent his son in our image that he might restore to us back to that image. That's cool. That's amazing. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, already existed, prior to the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. We're back to creation. And without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and He was the light of men. Notice, in the beginning, notice all things created. Notice life, notice light, all of it in the Word of God, in the person of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became a human being. God became the image of man. We call it the incarnation, big fancy word. Colossians, Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When it says he's the firstborn of all creation, it doesn't mean God created him. It means two things. It means he is the first to restore the image of God to all of humanity. And he is primary. He, he takes priority. He is over, has all authority over that. Because it goes on to say that everything that was created was created through him and for him. Therefore, for God said, let light shine out of darkness. Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our face, it is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Once again, it's all about creation, light coming out of darkness. Jesus, what? Fulfilling the image of God. So where's our hope? Here it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The oldest passed away has become new. God sent his son in the image of man in order to restore us to his image. Now, the great irony in all of this, this is an amazing irony in all this, is this whole thing is about man taking creation and setting up God's images, taking that which is created and setting it up as our God uh, imagery. And what, what the reality is, this is, when I'll show you this verse here, what the reality is, this creation that's around us that mankind is worshiping, that we all bow down to, we all... Not like I'm not saying you personally. I'm saying we as humanity bow down to. That creation is actually waiting for us. Waiting for us to embrace that new creation image of God. Look at this. This is right here. It's in Romans. Check it out. For the creation waits eagerly. Waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Jump down to verse 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Grown inwardly as we wait the eager adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Jump down to verse 28. Why? Because we know this, that those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Why? Because 
For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed, what? To the image of his son. In order that we might be the firstborn of many brothers. We have the opportunity to be reborn a new creation in Christ. Do not bow down to that image. So what, what is this first, this first commandment here? We are not to make images of gods turning, gods, turning creation into gods. But we're to be God's imagers, reflecting him to all of creation. Did you know, literally, the sun, the moon, the, the, the stars, the trees, the animals, the fish, everything about creation is longing for us to actually take our place as sons of God. That's what he's saying. It's groaning. It's waiting. The world is under the weight of sin and death. And that weight of sin and death weighs on all of creation, waiting for us to bring the light, the life, and the love of God to this world. There's really cool stories that have to do with this. To talk about communities where for years they were in darkness and the gospel came in. And not only did it change the community and the morality of the community, literally all of nature around it changed. It's just so cool. There's story after story like this. All right. So, you shall not make an image, and you shall not bear the name of Yahweh in vain. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. How many think that have heard that that's about, you know, saying Jesus or God or, you know, OMG? You may have heard that before. Well, only a couple of people? Oh, most, yeah, okay. Most people think that's all about, you know, not, not, not cussing and then putting God's name in there. Like, that's really bad. Well, that's not good. But there's a scholar, her name is Carmen Imes, and she would argue that that's exactly missing the point of this commandment. This commandment defines holy living as opposed to what we don't say with our mouth. That verb to take, the better way of translating it is to lift up or to bear. As a result, the name command is more about bearing God's name in vain than speaking his name incorrectly. So, the short of what's going on with this commandment, what's happening? God just called Israel out of Egypt. He wooed them. He says, I brought you out on eagle's wings. I overpowered uh, Egyptians, showing, uh, showing my power to you over and over and over. I wooed you. I brought you to this place, and I'm telling you right now, you are my treasured possession. You are uh, the, the, the ones that I love. I am going to make you a kingdom, an entire kingdom of priests. And a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And he begins to form this covenant relationship with them. And in so doing, what are they going to do? What happens when you walk forward down the altar? And you stand there and you make a vow before God in heaven, before man. And you connect yourself for life forsaking all others to this other person, you take on their name. And he says, 
Don't do that in vain. Don't do that in vain. I will not take it lightly. If you say you're bearing my name and you don't do this with holiness, you don't reflect me with holiness, you don't reflect me in what you're about and what you do and where you go and how you live your life, if you call yourself by my name and you do business like the world, you have taken my name in vain. If you call yourself by my name, And you don't treat your neighbor with love. You have taken my name in vain. He says, do you want the prime example of what it means to take God's name? The prime example is Jesus himself. Because when Jesus came, he took the name of God. And we'll finish that next week. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. Lord, may these Ten Commandments, as we study through them, may we see them not simply as rules that, are me- that, that uh, keep us from, but as the means to experience you, the means to reflect you. Father, may we consider ways in which we have bowed down to the images of the world, which we've created images of the world that have become greater to you than us, to us, where we have taken creation in some form and fashion and allowed it to, desi- to, to define our hopes, our desires, our successes, allowed it to define right, wrong, evil, instead of your word. And Father, may we turn from that. May we turn to the one who bears your name and desires to give that name to us, that we might reflect it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close out um, this morning, just one brief announcement. Um, Immediately after service, over here in the youth room, uh, Pastor Zeke had mentioned this in the opening announcements. if we want to have a meeting uh, in lieu of our connect groups, we don't do this often. We just want um, <coughs> a certain moments, special moments come along, that things that we need to communicate uh, with everyone. So if you all, um, uh, anyone who is a leader, we, we ask that you please be there. If you are a member here and would like to be a part of the meeting, you're, you're welcome to join us. So we're, we welcome you to join us as well. We have some things that, that uh, we need to announce and talk about. So, um, but please, that'll be immediately after service right over here in the youth room. We, um, our, our goal is to not keep everyone long, um, but, uh, but it, there's some important things we really want to share and talk about. So uh, if, we, if we can do that, we really appreciate it. Lorena? Why don't we stand up and end our service? pray you have an awesome day today enjoy this day with your family and and have a wonderful afternoon amen you call my name and i ran